And there's a reason he keeps throwing that out to you, because he wants you to want it, but now he's going to put the brakes on and say, you're not ready for this, because you're immature. Now, not you specifically, but maybe some of you, and only you and God, and maybe only God know who that is. So chapter 5, verse 11, he says, On this topic, the topic of Melchizedek, the topic of Christ being a different high priest, look, the high priesthood was everything. The only way you could gain access to God was through the high priesthood in the sacrifice. And he's going to take you into a place that you've never thought before. And so he says, we're not ready for that yet. So on that topic of how Christ is a different kind of a high priest how Christ is beyond the law, how Christ is superior, we have much to say. And I will give you three chapters, starting in chapter 7. But it's difficult to explain, since you have become sluggish in hearing. Sluggish is lazy and apathetic. Like, you've become so lazy, you just don't care anymore. For though you should in fact be teachers by this time, you need someone to teach you the beginning elements of God's utterances. Look, you guys have been in this faith for so long that you should be teaching other people. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or a giant scholar who's writing commentaries this thick, teacher. But there should be people in your life that you're teaching. There should, there, I, the best, Howard Hendricks was one of my professors that seminary, and one of the things he said was, at all times in your life, you should be being discipled, and you should be discipling. And I think that's what he's saying right now. Is there, there, you should be discipling people now. We'll always need discipleship. But you should be discipling people now. So you should be doing this now. But you still need someone to teach you the beginning elements of God's utterances, the elementary truths as some translations say. It's not that you, you still need to be taught. We'll always need to have a teacher in our life or somebody and in any kind of way, whether it's just experiential, disciplines, faith, word-by-word commentaries, whatever it is. But you still need somebody to just tell you Christianity 101. You still need to know the basics. And that's not good after how long you've been a Christian. You have become, you've gone back to needing milk. Not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature whose perceptions are trained by practice to discern both good and evil. Like a baby. Like if you've got a seven-year-old who's still breastfeeding, there's something wrong there. Okay? And that's what he's saying. This is not right. This is not right. You should be on solid foods now. Doesn't mean you have to have tasted every solid food in the world, but you should have moved up by now. But solid food is for the mature, whose perceptions are trained by practice to discern both good and evil. Now, once again, there you go. Discipline. Solid food is for those who exercise discipline in the Word of God. Milk is easy. The minute a baby is born, within three seconds, it knows how to drink milk. But if you go from solid foods, it was a lot of work to teach your kids to use that spoon. I mean, I remember it. There were so many things I was amazed by, like, wow, the minute they're born, they immediately know how to do this. That is so God. 
like that that instinctual innate reflex and those behaviors like that is so god that they just know that from the but then there's other things it's like seriously i had to teach my kid how to just move their teeth together as they're chewing their first solid food no, my first two, not so much. But Vienna was like, okay, you need to move your teeth back and forth, okay? You, the spoon doesn't go in your eye, it goes in the mouth, okay? Okay, I don't care whether you don't like that or not, you're still going to eat it because it's healthy. We don't eat junk food. And like, whoever said that a kid will stop eating when they're not, when they're not hungry anymore? They'll keep eating. Um, and it's okay to have leftovers. I mean, there's all these things that you had to just train your kid. That's discipline. And you guys know, I mean, there's a lot of discipline involved. Probably more so for the parents than the children. And this is what he's saying. That takes practice. That takes discipline. That takes discernment. That takes perseverance. It's easy to do the milk. But the question is, do you love God enough that you're going to take the disciplines of the faith? And they're called disciplines of the faith because they require work and effort. If they were easy, we wouldn't call them church. They wouldn't call them just disciplines. It means that you don't want to do them, but you want to because you love God. And if there's no struggle there, then you might have to do some soul searching. If there's a struggle, well, then that's a testament to the Holy Spirit work at your life. But start submitting to the Holy Spirit rather than your schedule. And that's what he's saying here. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore... You who are drinking milk still and should be on solid food, therefore, we must progress beyond the elementary instructions about Christ and move on to maturity, not laying the foundation, again, of repentance from dead works and faith in God, teachings about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this is what we intend to do if God permits. So this is what he says. We're going to move beyond these things. We're not going to talk about all these elementary things again because you should know these things. So he says, these are the things that you should know. So you came to hear me talk about elementary school stuff again, and I'm not doing that anymore. And now I'm going to kind of smack you around a little bit why I shouldn't have you in elementary school anymore, and then I'm going to dump college and seminary on you. Okay, that's what he's doing. Therefore, you must progress beyond the elementary instructions. Now listen, this is very important, this argument. A lot of people want to say that these things that he lists, he's going to list six things here. They want to say that he's talking about the First Testament, and those are all First Testament things, but he wants to move us onto the Second Testament, because First Testament is elementary, and Second Testament is seminary. That's wrong, because I think... Based on the first night, you saw that First Testament wasn't so elementary. <laughs> okay? The other thing, too, is this is why I call it First and Second Testament, because in our culture, when we say old and new, old tends to communicate bad and outdated and not necessary anymore. This doesn't always mean it, but in an American culture, when we think old, we think not relevant, outdated, or maybe even bad. And so it's not the old and new, it's the first and the second, and then together they're necessary. So, and he doesn't say, let's leave behind Judaism and go on to Christianity, because Judaism is Christianity, and Christianity is Judaism if you understand the first and second testament and how they fit together. Judaism in practice today in the world is not Christianity, but in the Bible it is. 
There's no distinction between the two. So, and I think we must also understand that I think by now we see that he doesn't see the first testament as elementary because this book quotes it so much. I mean, he constantly goes back. So you see the fact that he keeps going. If he keeps going back to the first testament over and over and over again, and then he tells you here, I'm not going to talk about elementary stuff anymore, then the first testament can't be elementary. Does that make sense? And some people are like, well, that means he's not quoting anymore. Wait a minute. We're going to have a big giant quote in chapter not 8. Okay, he's still going to keep going back. So this isn't First Testament versus Second Testament. This is elementary versus higher ed. But the other thing you must remember, he's not saying, let's put elementary behind. Elementary is bad. Forget about it. He's saying, let's move on. He's not condemning and saying that these elementary truths are bad and unnecessary and that we shouldn't ever have anything doing it. He's saying that they're the foundation. And the foundation means it's extremely important because without the elementary foundational truths, you can't build anything. Therefore, they are extremely important. He's not degrading them. He's just saying the foundation's been laid multiple times. Let's start building. Does that make sense? This isn't a bad versus good. This isn't an outdated versus a new thing. This is the foundation's been built. It's time to move on. But the foundation is important because without the foundation, I would not have the framing. Does that make sense? So this is not a first versus the second. This is moving on. This is not bad versus good. This is not outdated versus new. This is moving on. And you can't move on unless you have the other stuff. And the other stuff is important or you can't move on. So that's the proper context. So he lists some things here. The first, they're coupled in pairs. So the first two are paired together, three and two and three are paired together, and four and six are paired together. So he says this. Move on to maturity, laying the foundation, get repentance from dead works and faith in God. Now some people want to say that repentance from dead works is the law. That what he means is we need to leave the law behind. Because the law was about works that led to dead things. Now, that's bad. Because he's saying repentance from dead works. He's not saying that the law led to dead works. He's saying that you're repenting from dead works. Even though God is going to make it very clear that we're no longer in the law, and the law was temporary, the Bible never ever says that the law was dead works. Dead works is only used one time in the Bible. Well, it's used multiple times, but it's only used one way in the Bible. And that's to the things that we do in our flesh without God. It's Isaiah, all your righteous acts are like filthy rags. It's, there's not one who is this righteous. No, not one. For all for us short of the glory of God. Th- that's how dead works is used. Dead works is from the things that you do in the flesh, which only leads to death. It's your works that lead to death. And so the reality is, that's not talking about the law. It's talking about your heart. And it's what you all did before you became a Christian. And it's what we're tempted to do as a Christian when we go back and put on the old man. And so what he's saying is we shouldn't have to remind you again that you don't do the faith from your works and your flesh. That the gospel is about faith and not works. Now, without that, I cannot be saved. So that's a very important truth. But at the same time, 
if you keep needing to be reminded of that and retaught that every single week for the last 30-something years of your life, then something's not right. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't need to be reminded or we can't un- explore into a greater depth. But you shouldn't be surprised like, oh, you mean it's no longer by works? <laughs> that shouldn't surprise you anymore. And that's what he's saying. Then faith in God. Faith in God is obvious. Faith in God. Faith, whenever faith is used in the Bible, whenever belief is used in the Bible, it's never, ever, ever used. And then I believe that 2 plus 2 is 4. Or I believe that this person over there exists. Faith, trust, and belief are always used in a trust sense. That I'm completely dependent upon this thing, and I'm trusting it with my life, and without it I will fail. Even when it says you must confess and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's not believe that He is God. All the Hindus believe that. It's that you trust Him and your future salvation that He is the Son of God. And so faith is dependency. Now there are four things to faith. I don't know if I mentioned this. First, you must have a knowledge of God. You can't place your trust in something if you don't know what it is. The second thing is you must agree with it. You're not going to trust it if you don't agree with it. The third is that you must commit to it. And that's where the trusting happens. And the fourth is that you have a hope now. Because now that you're committed to something else other than yourself, and ultimately Jesus Christ, now you can hope. Now you have a hope. And so it's knowledge of, an agreement, a love commitment, and a hope that follows. And so that's very important. Now see, Abraham... When he started going to Hagar for his child Ishmael, he had a knowledge of God. He'd been walking with God for 20-something years. He had an agreement with God. He said, I agree with you, God. These are your promises, and I want them. In fact, I want them so badly, I'm going to go to Hagar. But he was not committed to God's path. And therefore, he had no hope, so he went to his own fleshly works to produce the child. And so faith is only possible because I cannot have hope if I have no commitment. And I can have, can have no commitment if I have no agreement. And I can't have an agreement if I have no knowledge. So I start with a reasoned, knowledgeable understanding of God. And that's what allows me to then produce faith. And so this is what he's talking about. That's faith in God. So if you put these two things together, this is conversion. You repent from doing things your own way and your own works out of your own flesh, and you do a 180 into completely trusting on God in His path and His ways. That's conversion. Now, that's extremely important, because without that understanding, there is no salvation. But if you've been a Christian for 30 years and that's still a surprise to you, and you just learned it again, then there's something wrong. Not that that doesn't mean we can't have a better, deeper understanding, because that's building on the foundation. That means you should already know the basics of only by faith. Then he moves on. Teachings about baptism and laying on of hands. Now, baptism really, truly should be translated washings. Now, in this sense, it does refer to the First Testament in this sense, because washings was a daily ritual that they did. Washings came in all different kinds of ways. You wash yourself purification through ceremonial rites of eating and sacrifice. You wash yourself to symbolically show that your sins were being cleansed after you sacrificed the animal. And so that, but here's the thing. When John the Baptizer came along and was baptizing people, that was not a brand new idea. The Jews have been baptizing themselves for 
what was original with John the Baptist was not washings, but a one and final washing. Now, but at the same time, there are more washings. Because John the Baptizer introduced a new concept of that you will be baptized one time, and that shows your commitment to a God. And then you just do little mini washings, as what Jesus said, you've already had your body washed to Peter, you only need certain parts. And that's sanctification. Okay, and so in that sense, we still do washings. But our washings now are no longer water physically every single day. Our washing is now one time justified the blood of Jesus Christ, and then daily the sanctification of the Holy Spirit as we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so in that sense, it is not baptism because it's washings, but it is baptism in the spiritual ultimate sense because... That's what washing was all pointing to in typology. And then the laying of hands. The laying of hands can be either the laying on of the Holy Spirit, it can be the laying on of anointing you for a specific task as a prophet, a king, or a priest, which we all are now through Christ. And so in this sense, you cannot have the laying on the hands of the Holy Spirit and being anointed to be prophet, priest, and kings without your washings. And so now your baptism through the Holy Spirit gives you the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which gives you the right to be a special possession, a kingdom of priests, and a royal priest, a royal holy, holy nation, as First Peter chapter 2 talks about. Once again, very, very important, but elementary foundation. So this is your initiation. And where the world will initiate you by humiliating you into fraternity or sorority, God initiates you by literally dwelling inside of you and cleansing you. And so conversion initiation. And then he goes on to this and says, any resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The resurrection of the dead only is used twice in the first testament, and that's when Elijah and Elisha raised the boy from the dead. That was foreshadowing the ultimate Elijah and Elisha, Jesus Christ, who resurrected multiple people from the dead, and then ultimately resurrected himself from the dead, and then ultimately, whenever you see that phrase, resurrection from the, of the dead, used specifically, it's always talking about the future, future resurrection of all believers. And then judgment, internal judgment, is the judgment that you face if you're not raised, if you're not a Christian. And so therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. So that is our hope. So here's your foundation. Your foundation is that you have conversion by leaving your life of works that lead to death and trusting in God that leads to life. You now have been initiated into God's temple by literally being washed of all your sins so that God, the temple, can literally indwell you and make you the temple. So that you now have a hope, which is desire plus expectancy, that you will be raised from the dead into that final complete salvation of eternal life for all and not be condemned and judged on the final day. Now we know all that. Is there more? Can we go seminary level with that? Yes. But if you're a Christian, you should at least know that stuff, the basics. Now, can you have a deeper understanding of those six things? Yes. And that's what he's saying. I shouldn't have to keep telling you that this is the gospel presentation. And it doesn't matter whether you're First Testament or Second Testament, this is the foundation. Conversion, initiation, and hope. And so now he wants to move us beyond that.